I'm glad you guys are here, especially you new freshmen. Not that I'm like less glad that you people I've known and loved for a long time are here, but I'm very glad we have new freshmen. I think that's awesome. And I think to kind of introduce myself, I'm gonna show you guys a horribly awkward picture of me from when I was in high school. How does that sound? That'll make you feel less awkward. So here we go. Here it is. This is me. I think I'm, I think I'm like a sophomore there. I don't know what's going on. I think my mom made me tuck in my shirt and I just, you can see that I'm hating life on my face. Not fun. Um, and the funny thing is, uh, when I showed this picture to Alex, our junior high pastor, his response was, oh yeah, that's how I remember you. Like when I picture you in my mind, that's what you look like. And I was like, no, please, that's terrible. That's the worst thing you could tell me, but it's true. This is my legacy. I was the weird guy who dressed like he was in the 70s who had an Afro. And that brings me to a question I have for you guys today. How do you wanna be remembered? <laughs> like, how do you want people to think of you 10, 20, 30 years from now? You know, some of you guys are, you know, seniors and you're probably wondering, like, what will my legacy be in high school? How will people remember me? For those of you guys who are freshmen, you're probably wondering, like, how am I going to be remembered? I think in junior high, there's kind of this attitude of, like, silliness, and everyone's just super fun and crazy, and just, like, I did junior high ministry for years. I was a junior high pastor for three years, and I was a volunteer for, like, six years before that, and I just remember how crazy junior hires were, like, never embarrassed, always willing to do anything, but then as soon as you hit that freshman year, it's like something switched is on in your brain and all of a sudden you start to realize like oh my gosh if I do something awkward like people won't like me it's like this weird social pressure maybe some of you guys are feeling it right now as new freshmen you're like I hope no one looks at me I hope no one thinks I'm weird well just just know that that feeling like lasts on into adulthood you'll have it the rest of your life this crippling fear that people are judging you um, so uh, yeah amen I'll see you guys all later no I'm just kidding <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think we want to be remembered as cool. We don't, want to, we don't want to be remembered as failures. We don't want to be remembered as people who are lame. And today, unfortunately, the guy that we're looking at, let's just get that picture off the screen. Um, unfortunately, the guy that we're looking at today, his name is Abimelech in the book of Judges chapter nine. He was an epic failure. His legacy was one of total failure. Now we're in the book of Judges and I used to think the book of Judges was all about action here. Heroes. I thought it was about, you know, big, strong judges who went around judging and conquering and ripping off jawbones of donkeys like Samson. Um, but as I've grown older and started to study the book, I've realized it's a really dark book and it's full of failures. It's not really a Bible book of Bible how-tos. It's kind of a book of Bible's how-to-nots. And the biggest problem that we see in the book of Judges is it is a kingless kingdom. That's the whole series that we've come up with, kingless kingdom. And so just to introduce you new freshmen to it, the idea of a kingless kingdom is it is a kingdom without God ruling as king. It's a kingdom without God in control, without God making the decisions, without God steering the ship. I kind of think of it as like a fire truck being driven by a toddler. Like, just imagine that, like, oh my gosh, there's a burning building. Send the fire truck with the toddler. That would be terrible. Like how long would that kid last? Maybe like not even two seconds, he would crash and burn and it would be a terrible thing. That's kind of what's going on in Israel right now. In the book of Judges, it is just this gnarly dumpster fire because 
God is not ruling them, and so they are constantly taking matters into their own hands. So today we're going to look at the life of Abimelech, and he is a kingless man. That's actually the title of the message today, The Dangers of a Kingless Man. Now, if you're a girl, do not think you're excluded from this. Um, It's basically the dangers of a kingless person. Abimelech is a man, but in the story, whether you're a guy or girl, put yourself in the story, if God is not leading you as your king, you face consequences that are not good. And I hope that today will show us our need for a king. So let me give you guys the backstory. How many of you guys know the story of Gideon? Anyone know the story of Gideon? Like those of you guys who are in high school who just heard this a few weeks ago, you should know. I'm going to give you the backstory. Gideon was a man who was called during a terrible time in Israel's history where they were basically oppressed by, think of like ISIS. Like if ISIS, you know, that crazy Islamist terrorist group moved into America and decided to like burn down your school, tear down your home, beat up your family, burn down your church, kidnap you. And like, that's what was going on. It was so bad that Gideon and all of his friends had to go hide in caves. And so Gideon is this young guy who's scared out of his mind. He's like, oh my gosh, the, the, the Midianites are going to come and destroy me. They're going to just, they're going to stab me and kill me. And, and then an angel shows up from God and says, Gideon, I have called you to do a great thing and rescue your people. <laughs> and Gideon's just like, no, not me. I'm the weakest guy in my family. And my family is the weakest tribe in Israel. But God calls him. God says, Gideon, I know you're insecure. I know you're scared, but I've called you to something great. And Gideon has great success. Gideon goes to defeat his enemies because he relies on the power of the Lord. But then what happened? We talked last time about Gideon being like this guy on a tightrope. And he's trying to balance. And on one side of the tightrope is insecurity. That's where he starts out. He's ready to fall and die because he's so insecure. Then he finds balance. He finds some security in God, saying, God is my strength. But then he leans all to the way to the right side into pride. He becomes so big-headed about his success that he all of a sudden becomes this horrible criminal warlord going around and beating his own countrymen in the face with thorn bushes because they insulted him. He becomes this terrible, terrible person, and he ends up leading his country into idolatry, which was against his mission in the first place. God had actually called Gideon on a mission to free them from idolatry, to free them from these wicked people and the idols that came with them. And in the end, Gideon fails because at the end of his life, everybody is worshiping this statue that he built. Everyone is worshiping basically this idol that he set up. So Gideon has a failed mission. His legacy was idolatry. That's how people remembered him. Not as this mighty warrior, they remembered him as a man who worshiped idols. And part of that idolatry was Gideon had many wives. Many, many wives, which was against God's heart. God made man and women to be married, one man and one wife. Many people in the Old Testament did not follow that rule. And so Gideon had many wives, and he ends up having many sons. And that brings us to Abimelech. Abimelech is the black sheep of the family. His mom was basically a prostitute. If you don't know what that is, ask your mom and dad. Um, But um, he was rejected by his brothers. They were like, you're not a real son of Gideon. Your mom was a prostitute. You're not a real brother of ours. So he was rejected by his brothers, and that meant he got no inheritance. You know, at that time, Gideon became very wealthy. He had a lot of money, and Abimelech was not scheduled to receive any of that money. So think of it kind of as like a superhero villain origin story. Um, 
speaking of superhero villain origin stories, do you guys know Lex Luthor? Yeah? Um, I'm not sure if this is right, but I was reading, like, one of the very first uh, Superman uh, comic books, and it's, like, you know, back in the 50s, and I think Lex Luthor's origin story originally was he was this brilliant scientist with a big, bushy, uh, you know, head of red hair, and he was, like, working in his lab, and then Superman, like, flew by to, like, save somebody and accidentally, like, hit his lab and made an explosion, and it, like, burned off all his hair, and he became a supervillain because Superman made him go bald. So... Superhero villain origin stories. Um, you know, that's Lex Luthor's. For Abimelech, his origin story is he's that black sheep with no inheritance, rejected by his brothers. And at the time, Israel had no king. There was no king in the land. And the rulers at the time were the judges. The judges were not, think like Judge Judy with like a hammer, you know, like, I object or overruled. A judge was somebody who was like this warlord, like this fighter set up to defend Israel. So not a king. They were supposed to report to God. They were kind of like a military general. So Gideon's sons, 70 sons, were the judges at that time. They ruled as judges. Abimelech is this ruthless young man, though. He's ruthless. And he's saying, basically, if I have any chance, if I'm going to have any chance at a good life, I need to take it for myself. I need to step in and take what belongs to me. So that's where we begin. Look at verse 1 in chapter 9. Then Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father. Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jeroboam reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. So, there's Abimelech. He has gone to Shechem up to see his uncles. These are the brothers of his mother. And so, Abimelech shows up and says, Listen, I should be king, not my 70 half-brothers. It's better to have one ruler than 70. This reminds me of the opening rebellion in heaven with Satan. You guys know Lucifer? He was this angel and our God. Uh, who knows the name of our God? Does anyone know our God actually has a name? Anybody? Yahweh. Yes, thank you. So Yahweh is this wonderful, awesome God, and he has these angels. And Lucifer is an angel. He's believed to have been kind of a worship leader in heaven. And he looks at Yahweh and he says, I could do that job better. I could be king. I could be God. And so he goes to the other angels and says, follow me, trust in me. That is what Abimelech is doing. And that's really how Satan works. You see, Satan convinces Abimelech that he could do better than what God had in place, that he could do better. There's all these judges who are ruling, and instead of just accepting his place and going, okay, I'm not ruling, I'm the half-brother, I don't have an inheritance, that's a bummer, but I can work through it with God's help, Abimelech says, I've got to take matters into my own hands. And that's what Satan loves to do with us. He loves to convince us that we can do better than what God has already given us. That we can make our own path, that we can be the leaders of our own destiny. He's constantly telling us that. And if you're wondering, like, what are you talking about, Aaron? I'm talking about, like, not think about, like, big scale things. Like, I'm going to overthrow my dad and take over his car sale dealership. I don't know. Not that. I'm talking about every time you choose to sin. Think about it. 
every time you choose to sin, every time you get a temptation, you're in that moment saying that you know better than God. Because what has God said? He said, stay away from that sin. Don't do that thing. That's corrupted. That's wrong. That's false. But in that moment, what you're saying is, well, I want to be my own king right now. I want to be my own queen right now. I want to rule over my life. God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want. Abimelech has been influenced by the enemy. So now we're going to go to verse 3, and we're going to see what that influence leads to. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So he gets some influence. He goes to all these men of this town called Shechem, and he says, Follow me. We're going to start this revolution. We're going to overtake the kingdom of Israel. And what happens is he gets all these guys to follow him. And what I notice here is that those under Satan's power often attract followers. And what's the excuse? They say like, oh, well, he's our brother. Like, he's our brother. We should follow him. He's our brother. Now, let me ask you, if somebody is your brother or your friend and they're sinning, is a good excuse to join them in their sin just, oh, he's my brother. She's my sister. He's my friend. But so many times that is what happens. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many times have you ever given into sin because a friend asked you to? How many times did you get involved in a sin that maybe you never would have done, but because a friend said to you, hey, let's do this together, you got sucked into that mess? I think every single one of us has been there, including myself. It's hard. When your friends come to you, you say, oh, he's my brother. She's my sister. Maybe not by parents, but that's how we think of our friends. It's like sometimes a friend is closer than a brother, the Bible even says. But it's so easy for us to give in to that pressure, to say, well, if my friend does it, if my friend says it's okay, then I'm just going to go along with it. But in that way, we are rejecting God as ruler of our life. We're saying, God, my friend's opinion, this popularity, this attention that I get from my friends is more important than what you say. There's a great quote by a guy named Edmund Burke. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And again, a lot of these old-timey quotes are very like directed at men, and I understand there's a lot of girls here. So I would add, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men or women to do nothing. If we stand by when temptation is there and we just do nothing, evil triumphs. Now, you might be like, Aaron, that's a little dramatic. I mean, it's only a little bit of sin. It's only a little bit of sin. Like, you're kind of painting in this picture of, like, good triumphs or evil triumphs over good. But think about it this way. What if you were to say it's only a little bit of poison? Like, think about it. If your friend handed you a glass and was like, hey, so I've got this glass and there's only a little bit of poison. <laughs> Have a drink. Like, would you be like, hey, it's only a little bit of poison? bottoms up. No, you'd be like, dude, that's a little bit of poison, which means I'm going to get a lot, a bit of death. Like we understand this concept and it doesn't matter if like, you know, if it was poison on a burrito or poison in a taco or poison in a hamburger or poison in macaroni and cheese. Like think about your favorite food, ice cream cake, a little bit of poison on top. You, you, you wouldn't be like, oh, well it's ice cream cake. So of course, no, you'd be like, dude, I don't care if it's my favorite food in the world. If it has a little bit of poison, that means I'm going to die. 
Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so, so often we think so little of sin. So many times, I've, I've, I've said this before, but it's like, how many of you guys have ever gone to a friend's house and uh, they've got a dog and the dog is insane and it's like jumping on you? Anybody? Yeah? How many of you guys hate that? Like when someone else's dog is just jumping all, I hate it. I'm not a dog person. And the thing I always notice is like somebody's dog can like be coming up to you. I remember I used to go over to my friend Doug Martin's house. When I was a little kid, there was this missionary at our church named Doug and Rose Martin. And they had this little chihuahua named Chiquita, you know? And Chiquita would just be like, like she would just be insane. It's like just biting at you and jumping on you. Like literally she'd, she would like jump up and like, ha, like hang on your arm and just dangle. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. I hate you, Chiquita. Um, and um, here's the thing. Anytime I've ever been in a situation like that, the response of the people who own the dog is never like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like get down, get down, bad dog. The response of people who own the dog is always like, he's all right, he's fine. They're fine, just, they just nibble a little. It's no big deal. That's, that's insane. Like, that if, if, think about it. If you had a human friend, okay, if you're hanging out with a human friend and you're, you're sitting down and, and another human comes up and the human friend was like, I'm gonna kill you, and like started biting that person, you wouldn't be like, they're all right, they're fine. You'd be like, you need to stop that. You're insane. I'm gonna check you into a mental asylum. What is wrong with you? Like that's, think about it. We, we would do that for a human, but for a dog, that's how we treat our sin though, seriously. Like when our sin flares up and starts barking and going after us, our response is just like, well, it's just a little sin. It's just how I am. I'm growing. I'm in, I'm a work in progress. God's still working on me. It's just, you know, praise the Lord. I'm going to go to church on Sunday and everything's going to be fine. We treat our sin so small, like it's not a big deal, but it is. We need to stop treating it like a cute little puppy. We need to treat it like a squirrel with rabies or something. Thing, like trying to eat our faces off. It's bad. And to continue the point, the source of all sin is Satan. It really is. There's this one time where Jesus is talking to a group of Jews and he, they're lying. They're just spewing lies. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're speaking the language of your father, the devil. What he's saying is lies are satanic and all lies can be traced back to the source, which is Satan, the father of lies. So think about it this way. How many of you guys have ever seen like Harry Potter? Yeah, anybody? Like if it were 10 years ago, the answer would have been no, because everyone's like, I'm a Christian. I don't watch Harry Potter because it's satanic. Um, but now we're more enlightened in 2017. Um, I actually enjoy Harry Potter. Um, anyway, I hope that doesn't get me fired to say that. Lord, forgive me. Anyway, there's an evil like snake people in Harry Potter called the Slytherin. So like the way that they talk is like this like evil, like, like Slytherin voice. That's what lying is. It's speaking devil tongue. Really, when we lie, we are speaking the language of Satan. To, to further the point, lying is satanic. <laughs> Sin is satanic. We don't think of it that way. Here, I'll show you in the story. Look at verse uh, 4. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Beerith, of which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men. And they followed him. Okay, so right there. They gave him 70 shekels. These are these men who are coming alongside Abimelech saying, let's start this revolution. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Beerith. Okay? So if you're reading this, you're probably like, what the heck does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Baal Beerith, in ancient Hebrew, the name Baal, it was a false god. It was linked 
often to the demon Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan. So basically, the mission is funded from the church of Satan at this point. They go to the temple of Baal Beareth. He's also known as the Lord of the Flies. And why do they call him the Lord of the Flies? Well, what, what happens when a dead body is lying there? What swarms around? Flies. I've had dead mice in my walls and literally like 50 flies swarm my house afterwards. Sin is death. The devil is death. Sin leads to death. But they're just so flippant. They're like, how are we going to fund this? We'll just pull some money straight from the enemy. It's money offered to idols. And it's fitting because Abimelech's mission is this mission of idolatry. He's trying to make himself an idol. He's trying to say, you don't need God, you need me. I alone can fix this problem. I am your leader. I am the one who can save Israel. And this is what's going on in this passage. My question for you is, have you allowed Satan to influence your life? Have you allowed him to creep in? Are there areas of your life, people that you hang out with, things that you watch, things that you listen, sites that you visit online, and in your mind you're thinking, or even like nowadays, it's like Instagram accounts that you follow. It's, it's insane. It's like, are there, are there things where you're viewing these things or talking to these people or hanging out or, or listening where it's constantly influence of the enemy? And I'm not one of those guys who says, if you're a Christian, you can only talk to Christians. I think far the opposite. I think as Christians, we should be so filled with the Spirit that God can send us into groups of non-believers so that we can reach them with the gospel. I'm not one of those guys who thinks, only listen to Christian music. Well, like, I think that art can be, I think art can be enjoyed. Like, I think, like think of it this way, like, uh, you know, like people think of that with music, like only Christian music is good. Well, does any art work that way? Like if you see a painting of a sunset, is it only good if a cross is in the painting? No, it's like God made sunsets. So like paint a sunset, it's fine. Like I think uh, a love song that's like not super sexual and gross and weird, but just a love song, even if it's not written by a Christian or even if it's a Christian who's not like putting the word Jesus in it, well, who invented love? God invented love. There's nothing wrong with these things. But we can listen to music and watch movies and view things on our phones that even though um, we might think that they're fine, they're filled with things that are of the enemy. Like, so I'm not a legalist, but I am here to say you can be, and I see this a lot with people your age, and I'm just saying this because I love you. I think this generation, I think that your guys' generation right now is probably the most open to be influenced by things that are wrong that I've ever seen in my entire life. And here's why. You guys are the generation that understands technology better than anyone. Your parents don't know anything about technology for the most part. They have no clue what to do with your phones. And so I've seen so many young people your age, like I I remember one time I was flipping through Instagram stories and there was like this sixth grade girl and on her story it was like, the gnarliest, dirtiest music I've ever heard. And I'm just like, this is a sixth grade girl. What on earth? But that's where you guys are at. It's constantly an influence from the enemy. And what happens is we become corrupted. 
And we see it with Abimelech. Abimelech becomes a corrupted leader. It says that he hired worthless and reckless men who followed him. He's the kind of guy who he has no real influence, and so he has to hire people to follow him, which is sad. Like, wouldn't it be sad if, like, you had a bunch of friends at school, but then it came out that you, like, paid them all to be your friend? Like, every day you're, like, slipping them, like, $5 bills so that they'll hang out with you at the lunch table? Or, you know, what's even sadder is sometimes people actually will get an app where they can pay money to get Instagram followers, which is really sad. This guy, Abimelech, is bringing in worthless men. He's hiring them. Now, what does that mean? I just want to stop and take a look at this. Worthless men. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a worthless man or a worthless woman? Well, there's two ways that I think we can look at it. And this one's going to get a little heady, so track with me. How many of you guys know C.S. Lewis? Okay, Chronicles of Narnia. So he wrote this book called The Abolition of Man, which is super deep. Like I was reading through it and like, I was like, I don't even feel like I'm comprehending all of this book. This is intense. But he brought up this idea of men without chests and just, you know, just not just say men, let's say people. What does that mean? Men without chests. So this is an idea. When I read it first, I was like, men without chests. Is he saying like men who aren't brave, men who aren't strong? Well, here's what C.S. Lewis is talking about when he says that we as a generation are bringing up men and women without chest. The idea is, it's about the heart. The heart, God has given us a heart, which we think of our heart beating in our chest, right? So when you see the word chest, think heart. A heart is where we have our virtue. It's where we have our character. Our, Our heart, that inward place that God made for us, is where our character comes from. It's where we say, I know right from wrong. And what C.S. Lewis said is, the head rules the belly through the chest. So think of it this way. Your head controls everything because you're thinking, but your belly, what's your belly? That's your appetites. So not just food, but like all the stuff that you want in life, all the things that you want to do with your free time, all the ways that you want to satisfy yourself. The belly represents just man and his desire for pleasure and fulfillment. So what C.S. Lewis is saying is you need to have a heart in between your head and your belly because, think of it this way, if you are living your life in a way with no heart, no character, no virtue, no idea of right and wrong, then all you have is your head and your belly. And so your head is constantly going to be thinking, I want, I want, because your belly is saying, I want, I want, I want. You need that middleman, that heart. And, and really, I mean, Disney would call it Jiminy Cricket, your conscience, but the Bible would say, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the spirit in our heart telling us right from wrong. We need to be men and women with hearts, with chests, with the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us. Because without it, we're just like animals. And that's what anyone without God is like. They're just living for their desires. The Bible says their God is their belly. And we see this with these men. Um, these men who follow Abimelech, if they had hearts for God, they would have resisted. They would have said, Abimelech, you don't have God's power. You don't have his authority. We're not going to follow you. But instead, they're ruled by their belly. And so Abimelech says, I'll pay you. And they say, okay, I'll go along with it. They're easily bought. Now, what controls you? Is it your head? Are you a rational thinker? Are you constantly being logical and thinking? 
Is it your belly? Are you someone who's just so controlled by your appetites? You see, like, I, I, can, I can be both. I can be somebody who's like brutally driven by my mind. Or at times, I remember one time I was talking to, I was in my office when we had our school here, and um, one of our freshman girls, I think she was a freshman at the time, uh, Becca was in there with a group of us. And I was talking to Becca about how hungry I was. And I was like, I'm so hungry. And I had this pizza. And, and I was like, I'm going to eat this pizza. And she was like, no, Pastor Aaron, don't eat the pizza. Because she knew that I was like struggling with my weight. So I was like, she's like, just eat apples. Because I had apples in my fridge. She's like, just eat like one piece of pizza and have apples. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then she left and went to class. And I ate the entire pizza. Because I was just controlled by what I wanted. Perhaps you can be that way. But I think what we need to be is controlled by the heart. And by the heart, I mean the heart that God has given us and the spirit that God has given us. All three things, your head, your belly, and your heart need to be surrendered to God because otherwise you are kingless. And you guys here, you're like, it's 2017. We have a president, not a king. Listen, God's desire has always been to be your king regardless of who your president or king or governor or duke or senator or whatever is. Listen, forget all that. You here in this room need to know that Jesus does not just want to be your personal savior, genie in a bottle who gets you out of all your jams whenever you're having a problem. He wants to be your Lord. How many of you guys have ever heard that or said that? Look, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Anyone ever heard of that? Yeah. How many of you guys have ever prayed and called Jesus Lord? Anybody? Lord, Lord. So what Lord means is master, king, That's what Jesus wants to be. And it's not this horrible, like Jesus wants to crack the whip and be this horrible slave king. No, he wants to be the king of your heart because he knows ultimately what's best for you. And he wants to push you to this great and awesome plan that he has for your life. That's why he wants to be your king because he wants to show you who he has always intended for you to be because he's so passionate about you that he knows that if you don't follow him, you will miss out on everything everything he has designed for you and he has planned for you. He's like a father who has wrapped all these Christmas presents and they're under the tree and he's just waiting for you to open them. And so many times we miss it because we won't allow him to be Lord. I believe that the deciding factor about whether someone is worthless or full of worth. So think about this in the context of who your friends are. Okay. Do you want worthless friends or do you want friends that are full of worth? I think the deciding factor is whether or not somebody loves and serves God. Think about it. Self-serving people are serving a kingdom that'll crumble. Some of you guys are going after friends who are only self-serving. They have no heart for God. Well, in that way, everything that they do is worthless because they're building a kingdom that won't last. I, I, um, I showed my students, uh, you guys, a couple years ago when we were going through the book of Matthew, I showed you guys a picture of these like statues. And these statues were some of the most famous men in ancient Greek times. And I asked you guys, do you know who these men are? And everyone was like, no, I have no idea. Now, at the time when these statues were being built, what those men were thinking was, this statue means I will live forever and people will always know my name forever. Well, it's not the truth. We look at those statues and we go, I see a statue, but who the heck is that guy? That's the reality. Guys, honestly... When I was your age, I was so driven by fame. I so wanted people to know my name. 
I was making these videos. I was actually an early era YouTube star. Please don't find my old channel because it's horribly embarrassing. But in back in 2005, 2006, I got featured on the front page. I got paid a bunch of money. I was doing all this stuff. And like, I was so absorbed with fame. It was just, ah, people need to know who I am. People need to see my work. And, and I was so driven by that. And then I realized one day that no one's gonna care in 100 years. Like, no one. No one will care about my work in a hundred years, let alone, it's, it's been like five years and no one watches my videos anymore. So who cares? Whose name will last forever? The name of Jesus. His name will last forever. And so I want to live my life in a way where I am serving the king who will last forever. I want to build his kingdom because it'll last forever it's like uh, the Apostle John said, he must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. When we live in a way where we're making God's kingdom increase and his name increase, and we're not so worried about our own popularity, it's such a better way to live. It's so much more freeing. It's such a better way to live. As we continue on, we're going to talk about one of the most horrible crimes ever committed in Scripture. To set the stage, Abimelech knows something. He knows that in order for him to be king, his half-brothers need to be wiped out. So let's continue on to verse 5. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jeroboam, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left because he hid himself. So that was quick, but honestly think about what just happened. Like so often we read the Bible and we're just like, oh yeah, somebody killed somebody and he hit him and, and it just kind of goes over our heads. Think about what just happened. This is one of the darkest scenes in scripture. This guy gathers all of his 70 half brothers up and kills them on one stone. What would that look like? That's like an execution. Like, think about that. Think about if you had 70 brothers and you had this half-brother, you know, a brother from another mother, and this guy rounds up you and all your siblings and you're brought to this rock. Like, think about, you know, Pride Rock and the Lion King. You're brought to this rock. And he literally lines everyone up single file, grabs a giant sword, brings them over to the sand of the rock and chops off their head. Next, chops off their head. Just 70, like, imagine, like, I would... I would not want to be at the back of that line. I'd be like, put me at the front. Like, just get it over with. That is, this is gnarly. Like, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen in the Bible. 70 dudes just getting hacked to pieces by their brother. This is terrible. He's lining them up one by one. It would take very long. It would be brutal. And really what he's doing is he's following in his father's footsteps. If you were here last time, remember, Gideon started out good, but in the end, he ends up killing his own countrymen. He ends up going because he wants revenge on some of his countrymen who wouldn't help him. They wouldn't join him in a battle. He goes and knocks over their tower and kills all the men in their town. What, Gideon, or what Abimelech is doing, it's animalistic. It's like an animal because what he's doing is um, it, it, have you guys ever heard of what lions do in the animal kingdom? When a lion, think about the Lion King, right? So you remember Scar and Mufasa? Um, Mufasa was like, Simba. That's my Mufasa. Uh, remember who you are. You are my son 
and the one true king. Anybody? No? You guys are like, this guy's lame. <laughs> eh, well, you know, you'll get used to me. Anyway, um, so Mufasa is this king, and then Scar, his brother, kills him. He knocks him off a cliff into a herd of antelope. But then what does Scar do? Who does he target next? Simba. <laughs> he goes after Simba, and that's actually accurate. You see, in the animal kingdom, what lions do is when one lion kills another lion who's in charge of a pride, he then will go and kill all of his cubs because he doesn't want the cubs to rise up and pose a threat. So Abimelech goes after, he waits for Gideon to die, and then he says, I'm going to take over the pride, and I'm going to kill all of these cubs. I'm going to take them out. It's animalistic. Remember what happens when you remove the heart and you're only operating with the head and the belly, you act like an animal. When God is not involved, you are only left to your own devices, and so sin is everything that comes from it. It's not only animalistic, it is absolutely satanic. And I'm not talking about like, okay, you guys weren't around for this. Was anyone around in the 90s in here? Leif, Brooklyn, Matt, were you around in the 90s? Wow, you missed it. So the 90s was a time, when, it was a weird time in Christianity because Christian moms thought everything was satanic. Like I wasn't allowed to watch Power Rangers. Power Rangers, satanic. Like I wasn't allowed to watch really anything. I had a friend who wasn't allowed to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because his 90s Christian mom was like, the theme song says, turtles in a half shell, turtle power, and there will be no power but the power of Christ in my home. That's, hallelujah, yeah. So 90s were weird. Um, so I'm not like talking about that like with satanic where everything's just like, oh my gosh, like it's red with horns, it's Satan. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the nature of what Abimelech is doing is found in the reality that Abimelech is trying to make himself king. He's trying to follow in the footsteps of not God, but Satan. He's doing exactly what Satan did in the beginning. We need to take sin seriously because there is constantly a war about good versus evil. I realize this, and I wish I got this in high school because honestly, in high school, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I was a follower of Jesus, but I was also so focused on what I wanted. I was so focused on just every day waking up and looking in the mirror and saying, how can I make me happy? And I, I didn't realize that there was this war going on all around me, that Satan is constantly working. Guys, he hates us. He looks at us and we have what he wants. We have power. We have acceptance. God has chosen us and said, you are going to rule one day as sons and daughters of the king. We have everything that Satan desires, and he knows he can never have it. So he hates us. You need to know he hates you. You are constantly a target. And if you actually, if you're here and you're following Jesus with your whole heart today, you're an even bigger target because Satan sees you as a threat. We need to wake up to the reality that this war is constantly going on. And the enemy is strategic. Seriously, like the enemy has strategy. Strategy. We see this in the next part. Look at verse 6. So what's going to happen is they're about to crown Abimelech as king. Look at verse 6. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. So, 
Another thing that you can read and you can just go, oh, cool. They made him king at the pillar of Shechem by the terebinth tree. This is straight up some deep enemy strategy. How? So the place where they crowned him king, the terebinth tree in Shechem, that was the place where Yahweh, the God of the universe, first appeared to Abraham. The place where he first showed up to Abraham and said, Abraham, I am calling you to be a people set apart. I will make you a great nation. I have great things in store for you. It was the beginning, the very beginning of God's plan for his people. And it was also the first place in the promised land. Once the Israelites made it to the promised land, they went to this place in Shechem and they had an altar of worship built for the Lord. So it was this place of calling and it was a place of worship. Do you see Satan's strategy? He's taking ground from God. He's saying, I am going to take something that God meant for good and I'm going to turn it for evil. This is always his strategy. Think about Adam and Eve. God makes Adam and Eve. They're these perfect people made in a perfect world. And Satan says, I'm going to take that from God. The enemy is always trying to lie, kill, steal, and destroy. He turns a place of worship now into a place of murder. This is huge. It'd be like, how many of you guys know what happened at Gettysburg? Gettysburg, anybody? Okay, yeah, good, history class. So Gettysburg, you guys know, it's the place where Abraham Lincoln, um, one of our presidents, made a stand against slavery. So just to give you an example of what's going on, it would be like if we in 2017, like as a people, went back to Gettysburg and said, we got up on a platform and we made a speech and we're like, all right, we're bringing back slavery. That, like, think about how intense that would be to go back to the place where it happened and do a reversal. That's what Satan's trying to do. He's going back to this place that meant so much to God and his people, and he's saying, forget God. He's not your king. We have a new king. The enemy loves to take what God is doing and twist it. And I think we see this in people's lives. Satan loves to take what God has given them and twist it. You know, I, I don't like to, you know, bash on, you know, celebrities, um, but just as an example, I think it, it's, it's worthy to take note of. Think about Katy Perry. Katy Perry is a girl who actually was given a beautiful gift to lead worship. And when she started out as a musician, you may not know this, but she was a worship leader and she, and she led worship at her church. And she, I think she actually had, I think like her first album was like a, a worship album. And again, like I said, like you don't have to, as a Christian, only make songs about the Lord. But I think it's sweet that she used her gifts in that way. But now you see she's progressed from that as somebody who doesn't use her gifts at all for the Lord or even just to write nice songs. But she writes songs that are very much completely consumed with worshiping fame, sex, and greed. And what about us in our lives? Are there things that once were ground for the Lord, but now the enemy is taking that and turning it into his territory? Think about church. Was church a place for you where once you showed up and you loved to worship the Lord? You loved to hear his word. You loved to learn about him. You showed up with a pen and paper just ready to write things down or you had your phone open. You're like, God, speak to me. But now church is just a place for you to meet up with friends, friends that you're gonna go and sin with later in the week. Or think about school. Was school a place where you once went and you did your best for the Lord? And you served him with your whole heart, but now it's a place where you're disrespectful to your teachers and you're only consumed with popularity and friendships and you've become lazy in your work. Or even camps coming up. 
Like, was camp a place for you? Once an area of your life, a place where you worshiped God, where you just were consumed with following Jesus and getting recharged at camp. For you now, are you only looking forward to camp because there's a guy or girl there that you want to see? Or even the thought of like, there's going to be boys there who aren't Calvary Vista boys. <laughs> That's always how it is. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of these Calvary Vista boys. Let's get new boys. And you go to camp, it's like, there's 400 boys here. Oh my gosh. Like that's, <laughs> or girls, uh, you know, if you're a boy. Um, or even like going to camp and thinking like, oh my gosh, a week free from my parents, a week where my parents can't tell me what to do, a week of just like, oh, Pleasure Island. This is amazing. Guys, you know what Jesus said when he showed up? Jesus said something really powerful. He said, the kingdom of God is among you. That was not just a fun, cutesy little statement. What Jesus is saying is this kingdom that we're all trying to rule, (laughs) this kingdom of the world that we're all trying to climb up on top of one another and just like rule, it's broken and it's poisonous, and it's killing us. And so Jesus is saying, you need a new kingdom, and I'm bringing it to you. you like, like, Judges is a prequel. It's a broken kingdom, but it's a prequel to when Jesus shows up and says, now I am bringing the kingdom that was always meant to be. Listen, you don't have to wait until you die and go to heaven to be a part of a kingdom with a king. When we get to heaven, whether God takes us there or whether uh, he comes back or whether um, we die or, or however we get there, we can experience it now in part. You can experience a life where Jesus rules you, where he is in charge of your life, not in a way where he's just bossing you around, but in a way where he's guiding you like a loving shepherd. He's keeping you free from sin. He's pointing you to the truth. You can have that. It's what he wants for you. And as we continue next week to see the story of Abimelech unfold, we'll see how bad things get when you don't have a king. But I want to encourage you today, if you're here and God is not the king of your heart, invite him in. Let him rule because otherwise you're just a person without a chest. You're a person without a heart. You're ruled by your belly and your appetites. We need to be ruled by the king the king who knows best, the king who loves us, the king who would have died for us if we were the only people on the planet. That king. Satan can't give you anything. Jesus wants to give you everything. So if you haven't given your heart to him, why wait? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much and we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you died for us. God, This kingless kingdom is so depressing. The book of Judges is so hard. But God, we see in it these glimmers of hope. We see in it this example of how we are not to live. Help us, Lord, to live the opposite of this. Help us to not be like Abimelech, just seeking what we want. Going after our belly, going after our desires. Help us, God, to have hearts. And in fact, Lord, we need heart transplants. We need you to give us a heart. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give us your heart today. If there's anyone here, um, just as we continue to have our eyes closed, if there's anyone here and um, you feel like right now you're not following Jesus, maybe you've never given your heart to him, and, and you're hearing this message and you're like, I need a king. 
I need a leader. I, I need God to, to rule my heart, to be the king of my heart, to be my Lord. If there's anyone here and, and you feel that way, you can raise your hand and I'll pray for you right now. Anybody feel that way? Yeah? Okay, if there's anyone here who you've given your life to Jesus and you've been a Christian, which is probably everyone here, um, we, we're church kids here at Vista. If there's anyone here where you've been a Christian your whole life and, and you've given your heart to Jesus, but you know that right now you're in a time period where he, he's not really the Lord of your life. Yeah, you're saved. Yeah, you're going to heaven, but you have been kind of trying to run your own life. You've been maybe letting your desires and those things rule over you and instead of allowing Jesus to be king. And you realize that's wrong. And you realize that even though you're saved, you need to rededicate yourself to him right now. You need to invite him to take that place and to rule over your heart. And you need to step aside and say, Jesus, you take control. If there's anyone here who feels that way and you just want to kind of today give your heart to the Lord again and just say, Lord, I want your spirit. I want your strength. Today, I want to be a day where I leave here with a refreshing. If anyone feels that way, you can raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Anyone there? Cool. Anybody else? Yeah? Awesome. Okay, I'm gonna pray for you. Lord, I pray for these who've raised their hands and they feel like, Lord, they just need to rededicate their lives to you. God, I pray that you'd fill them with a fresh filling of your spirit. It's so hard to be a high school kid in 2017 and follow you. There's so many pressures, so many temptations. God, give them strength to fight through it. Give them strength to make you the king of their heart. Lord, help them every day to find moments where they can connect with you and receive from you and get strength from you. Fill them up, God, so that they can pour out your love to others. Help them, Lord, to not be like Abimelech, but to be more like Jesus. We thank you, God, for this day, for this message, for this time, and we just pray that you'd bless us as we go out today. Help us to remember everything we've learned here. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.